Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. If you love this show, and apparently some brain-damaged outcasts do, then please, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can also like our Facebook page. Hardcore Radical Research fans, and apparently we have some of those, uh, may have noticed a new intro mashup. Uh, the first snippet remains the same, so we won't reveal that one, but try and guess the other four. We can now reveal the identity of the four from the intro mashup number one, and those were, in order, King Crimson's Fracture, a bit from Deserts of Tron's album, The Lilac Moon, something from Demolich's Nespith album, and the final moment from Judas Priest's Winter Retreat. Thanks for caring. Some people asked about it. I, I, I believe I asked about it at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, everybody, you're in for it now. Hunter, what do you know about this Swedish fellow, Lars Rosenberg? He was a little band I heard of one time called Entombed. Yes. Um, also in Therian for a bit. And maybe now's not the time to get into it, but at some point I would like to talk about the genealogy of this band. Um, because this is a band that's not particularly well-known. It's well-known to enthusiasts of Swedish death metal and probably weird metal in general, but I, I think that their lineup um, is a little more star-studded than, um, than some people might realize. Oh, absolutely, and we can get into it now because uh, one of those quote-unquote superstars um, <laughs> figures into their early days and really doesn't appear on the, on the albums. And I'm yes. talking about Mati Karki from- uh, Yes, Schreiber. Dismember, Carnage, General Surgery. Richard, Richard Cabeza from uh, Dismember was also in the band for a bit. And, very um, short period of time. Yeah, very, yep, yep. All, he was also in un, Unanimated. I don't know how Unanimated's weathered for you. Um, uh, you know, I liked them, but they always felt a little bit B-rate, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean they're, they're certainly not top tier for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I still like Ancient God of Evil a lot. It's got this weird kind of like dissection meets death and roll thing that I dig. Sure, yeah. Um, in, in the Forest of the Dreaming Dead was the one I always kind of knew, I guess. It's cool. And there's yeah. also, I guess, a pavement connection to Carbonize, right? <laughs> I fucking hate pavement. Well, I do too, but I think it bears <laughs> mentioning that pavement at least signed two good bands. <laughs> uh, that would be Carbonized and Therion, right? Uh, well, and unanima Unanimated. Yeah, but I think they licensed all those. Maybe, licensed, okay, whatever. They, they at least count. licensed it. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. And, and, and you know, obviously, uh, Christopher Janssen from you know, the, it's the linchpin for Therion. And he and uh, another early member of Carbonized, uh, Pear Ox, were in um, Excruciate 
at a, at a, at one point, a, a, a super underrated Swedish death metal band that I like quite a bit. You can actually pick up um, the Excruciate Epitaph split on CD uh, from the Crypt. I think Dark Descent um, carries it. I, I would recommend it. And Parox was also in a super super unknown. They're not even listed in uh, in Daniel Ekeroth's Swedish death metal book. A band called Egypt. Who uh, who recorded two songs um, that I know of? There there may be something else out there. There's not much more by them, and those are great, man. They are extraordinary. Yeah. I, Jeff, I, you kind of hit that the nail on the head when um when we were listening to them, and said that they kind of reminded you of where Cemetery would have gone after Evil Shade of Grey if they'd remained a death metal band. Yeah, like just a, a more like a maybe a tighter, more sophisticated version of that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I it, bands called Egypt. It's obtainable. Um, you might have to do a little bit of work, but well, well worth your effort if you like Swedish death metal. For sure. And man, thanks for all the minutiae there because that's, you know, the Swedish scene is so incestuous, I guess. One band you didn't mention was this Dutch band Monastery that Lars was a part of uh, yep, yep. for a while. And this is funny because like if you look up on Metal Archives, and this is the only way I know this because look, I, I know a lot about underground death metal from this time but maybe not this much but there were two death no metal one knows bands. as much as metal archives there were two yeah right exactly there were two <laughs> death metal bands in netherlands around the same time called monastery which pretty much just showed you how many death metal bands were around at that time period i mean it was right it was there were a lot popping up right but he was in that band lars obviously the linchpin to carbonized and you know he played on Clandestine and Wolverine Blues, and you and I both hold those albums in very high regard. That, that whole era of Entombed, very high sure. regard. He came in right after Left Hand Path. I mean, he was there for, you know. Yeah, the, he was touring on Left Hand Path, right? Absolutely. I saw yeah. I saw them, yep. Um, Bastard. Yeah. Actually, no, you know what? I didn't see him on Left Hand Path. I saw them on Clandestine after LG had come back, but certainly Lars was up there, and he was he's kind of a diminutive figure. I don't compared call, to the rest of those I guys, sure. short. I guess I just did, but um, <laughs> but he rocked, man. He was right, always up there, right in the front of the stage, cranking it out. Because I saw them twice in the Wolverine Blues tour as well. He was the same way. He was the guy out there leading the charge. Actually, it's weird. He didn't get a lot of credit in Entomb, or at least you know why would he? Because you've got the other guys, right? To mention, but kind of kind of an underdog. And we love his band, Carbonized. And Carbonized was his baby. Absolutely. Right. And there's a, there's a bit of a confusing history with the lineup changes and not going to get into the deeper minutia of who came and went and who came back. But they did have another guy that was very notable in, this, in, the, in the early lineup called Jonas Dirouche. He was their first guitarist and a guy who would appear in some version of Unanimated, speaking of them. Uh, he did some vocals on one of their demos, the Recarbonized demo. Played some remarkably kind of brain-bursting psychedelic noise when he would go into leads. We'll yes. get into that in a bit, but I, I really like well, his contribution to sort of pre-album Carbonized. We're going to play a little clip from uh, a song called Paradise Lost from their very first demo, Auto Da Fe, which uh, I had to look that up. The ritual of a public penance of condemned heretics and apostates. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's like a, a, an immolation. This took place in various inquisitions back in the day. That kind of That's a Catholic idea, essentially, because it comes back some there's a very anti-Catholic element to Carbonized. I don't know if you've read into the lyrics too much, but that's what I've gotten over the years from them. I would so say just generally speaking, Swedish death metal bands don't like Catholics. <laughs> or religion of any sort, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is a song called Paradise Lost. 
The reason I wanted to play this one was it begins with a thread that stayed in Carbonize the entire time, which was Lars's watery kind of phantasmagoric bass. Yes. Do you want to say something about which that? Is, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, you can um, kind of trace that bass sound um, throughout the uh, history of Swedish death metal up until, you know, probably 93, 94, where things became a little more uh, heterogeneous. Because uh, it, it's it's really interesting to me because in, you know, I guess with the earliest death metal day or the earliest, like, death grind, you think about repulsion, you think about, you know, the early earache scene, um, Danny Lilker, Blackie, whatever, you have this sort of decimating bass presence but in swedish death metal that's subordinated to the guitars which are obviously you know just chainsaw ripping um but you have this yeah it's it in two like that watery bass sound is i haven't even thought about this actually and generally i'm not this smart but this is just one of those moments of revelation <laughs> that i'm having um but like that bass sound really kind of comes from early 80s british post-punk and like and, and goth and like you know think about you know the cure. You think about the bass sound on Cure records, like yeah. like Faith in Seventeen Seconds. Yeah. It actually kind of sounds like that. Sure, sure. And he was, I, you know, Lars himself. And this is just just based on appearances. I don't know this for sure, but he he was a guy that would wear like kind of eye makeup, some black, just yeah. some black eyeliner, and like you and know, John Lennon glasses. He looked a little bit sort of, you know, like like he his influences were coming from the Cure or the Beatles or just you know some yeah. some era. He he kind of stood out in in that. Uh, sense as well i and i've always admired his bass playing and sure. here's the thing about lars is he wasn't able to play that kind of bass in tune they just didn't call for it you hardly no i mean you yeah no you, you're pretty much following the guitars and in tune absolutely yeah so so anyway this is uh paradise lost from auto da fe from 1989 here's where it begins and this is the case with a lot of Swedish death metal, I think you hear a pretty um, pronounced uh, autopsy influence. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear, I, like, the drums actually sound a bit like Reifert to me, too, but, the you know, the riffs and everything in the atmosphere. I think then, between, yeah, if there were never a repulsion or an autopsy, there wouldn't be a Swedish death metal, at least not as we know it now. Probably fair to say, yeah. Yeah. So there were a couple more demos released in 1990 and 91 and some other recordings. And one of those was uh, No Canonization 7-inch. This was released on France's Thrash Records. And I always love the Thrash Records name, man, because um, there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of thrash on Thrash Records. No. And the title, too. I could see like someone like a soup Nazi that's actually in charge <laughs> of canonizing saints. And they just come by, no canonization for you. <laughs> <laughs> Being a huge Seinfeld fan, man, you know I love that. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, there again, though, that's the other anti-Catholic element. Well, one of the right. other anti-Catholic elements yeah. is this no canonization thing. Like, we are not going to deal with canonization. You, you, you cannot yeah. foist that upon us. We're not. We we do not support canonization. <laughs> yeah, we're not into that stuff. So, <laughs> Thrash Records. I just want to, as an aside, kind of mention they they released more minor releases by great bands like Afflicted, 
uh, Sentenced, Convulse, uh, Exit 13, and of course, uh, Mordecai's Dances from Left album. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very little thrash. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that Mordecai's record. I actually listened to that recently. Um, they're a Finnish band, and they play a style that's very, very much reminiscent. Well, I mean, almost contemporaneous. That record came out in 93, right? I think so. 92, yeah, 92, 93. Um, very, very Swedish. It does not sound like Finnish death metal at all. Right. But it's played. It's played with um, the kind of dexterity that you would find in in bands like um, Evocation and Nirvana two thousand two. It's it's tighter than your typical Swedish death metal. Not the easiest thing to track down, but but well worth it if if you're a fan of the style. In, in keeping with some radical research threads, Tom Haley loves it. Matt Johnson, uh, flutes. Um, what else? Blankets. Blankets. Voivod. So even by the time of the 7-inch that we're talking about, their pacing kind of expanded in both directions, fast and slow. Um, they also became a little weirder. Statues was a song on the 7-inch that showed that uh, the song links would kind of start to shrink considerably. Um, they became a band that uh, whose you know, kind of average song length for a while was about two to three minutes, right? Yes. What we have here, we're going to play the second version of the song, Auto de Fe. Unfortunately, this one never made it to the debut album. I always have liked this and thought of it as one of Carbonize, you know, best songs. Um, but it's great here. It features a pretty amazing guitar solo section. It's uh, obviously double-tracked as well. And yep. I think, you know, they had added a second guitarist at this time. So, you know, they were going through just kind of trying to find who they were and, and what they were doing. Rarely hear this sort of section in Swedish death metal with two different guitar solo passages happening at the exact same time, right? Yeah, I mean, it almost reminds me of the most chaotic parts of Hellawaits or something. Uh, I can see that. It yeah, we just like have both guys hammering on, on a completely exact, different Exactly, yeah. Just, completely yeah, different track. Completely and right. Yeah. It's almost like they didn't listen to each other, but it just, like, the intuition is so intense that when you like put them together, it just, it, it's a perfect match. Yeah. So let's check out uh, the song Auto de Fe. get some kind of finished vibes off of this song um it, it's not quite as severe as ripicolo or maybe even abhorrence but it's it's got that that really like suffocating dark sound that characterizes finished death metal from this time for me yeah that's cool and that's maybe another show actually is like the comparison of like say swedish to finnish death metal um, yeah because 
I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not as into the finished stuff. I like, a, I like a good bit of it, but um, a lot of the classics, I just, I acknowledge, I think they're good. But there was this kind of like super low end heaviness, darkness, throbbing, yeah. kind of suffocating. Yeah. As you said, sort of vibe to them. All um, that. Just never. It is a, it is a more like, it's a darker, more unyielding kind of sound. Severe but, is a good word to use as well. And you use that. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's a good call. I think at this stage, carbonized definitely sounded, sounded pretty darn finish. It was the, uh, the recarbonized demo after this that, that really, I think is the best of the pre-album material. It finds the band as a trio. Uh, it's Rosenberg, uh, Jonas, who we mentioned earlier, Jonas, and then a drummer named Peter W. I am not even going to, pronounce uh, it try to pronounce his last name yeah it, lo- it looks to be of of polish origin and i'll i'll spare myself the embarrassment and we'll just call him peter i was gonna ask you to try it out we'll call him peter I'm w not. yeah i'm the not. rest of the show Sorry. i think this guy's a fantastic drummer um oh very much a lot of personality too yeah yeah and we'll we'll hear more from him as we go on because he was in the band now you know for the duration yeah for yeah through the end but Jonas is doing vocals. Um, I, I hear this as a very potent and undeniable carbonized at this point. They finally kind of honed. And I think a lot of that success is due to Jonas's vocals and Peter's drumming. I, the, the, these, are, these are great elements of carbonized at this point. Here's where the songs kind of get notably shorter, uh, it, which would be a trait of the first album as well. Um, but still, the songs were very substantial, and they don't kind of leave you wanting. Right. We're going to play a song from uh, the recarbonized demo called Two Faces. Great vocals kind of puked out in this hysteria by Jonas, which I like a lot more than Matty Karki's kind of more generic delivery. I don't even mean that in a demeaning way. I just think that sure. Matty's kind of standard issue Swedish death metal vocal, right? Right. And, and, Whereas, a, very, and a very good one. But yeah, de- definitely. Yeah, I mean, this... definitely. And, and Jonas was yet another thing. It, let's check it out. This is Two Faces from the recarbonized demo. faces as jeff says the the vocals are much more maniacal they more personality there's some some d-beat drumming in that which ties it in with you know a lot of that's that's a huge characteristic in, in swedish death metal because swedish death metal um engaged with hardcore uh, more than most other uh, global death metal scenes there's also some middle eastern vibes in in the solo section uh, they're they're understated, but I mean that's a, a an atmosphere that would be pursued by, especially Northern European bands um, for much of the '90s. Uh, Amorphous comes to mind, uh, just offhand. 
Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think I think Carbonize themselves kind of play with it later on the albums too. Oh, they do for sure. And I love the um, the reverb on the vocals. Yeah. Um, I, I think when when you think about atmosphere in Northern European metal during the '90s, like immediately you think about Norway. And but the the reverb that they put on these vocals has the I mean, it's obviously death metal, but it's got the same sort of chilling effect that you find in the in the most convincing black metal too. I believe. Sure. I, and I've never had a problem with like putting effects on vocals in this sort of material because right. in fact, I'm a fan of it with a lot of different <laughs> genres and styles, but I really like it in this because you're just trying to create an otherworldly effect. That's, that's to me what these vocals are. They're a percussive, oh, sure. like, yeah. kind of, kind of phantasmagoric percussive element. Right. So, right. so if you Absolutely. add something to it, that's inhuman, it's already going for that. So, so why not? Right. Right. Yeah, this is escapist music. I mean, they're drawing you into a world of their own making. Right, right. I mean, it just not, only, not only one that you really want to be in, probably. But it only gets annoying when it's overdone. Right. But I, I think in this case, and so when it's, it's really self-conscious and calculated. I mean, I, this, this very inspired stuff. You know. Yeah, for sure. It's like just starting to explore the studio too. Oh, absolutely. So after this, uh, um, Christopher Johnson would come in uh, to replace Jonas, and this then solidified the trio lineup. We have Lars, we have Peter W, and we have Christopher. They dashed off a quick kind of promo demo and recorded their first album for The Security. Also on Thrash Records, here the guitar chords get kind of more dissonant, I guess because of Christopher's presence. The, the riffs are a lot more sort of labyrinthine. And I know that Christopher is a huge Voivod fan. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that the riff that um, we're going to play in this next song is actually from Dimension Hatros. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it, it's a um a paraphrase to be sure i i think anyone familiar with voivod will hear that so yeah let's go ahead and get to that let's get to euthanasia from for the security Another wonderful band that they remind me of at times, and this is not sort of they directly remind me of them, but when they start kind of piling on the calamity, these bursts of noise, it almost reaches almost a nuclear death pitch at some point where it's just just a lot, a lot of harrowing stuff bordering on noise, right? Yeah, and to counter that, kind of for the first time, you really hear some clean riffing in the song. Um, Yeah, this would become a, a carbonized hallmark for sure. 
Right. And I mean, I mean, that's typical of Christopher, Christopher Janssen. And, and when they dig into those riffs, I mean, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty intense. Yeah, it's effective. And, and again, these yeah. songs, six of these songs are under three minutes. And it's, it's kind of funny. They're not novelty songs, but that's shorter than the average in this kind of world we're talking about, right? Right. But they established this kind of compositional direction where they were just able to blast it out, get in there, mess, it, mess your head up, and then get out. And it, it was effective. It worked. You weren't left wanting. Also want to mention the blower guitar sound. Just fat, huge, kind of cosmic sludge. Great yes. stuff. And really sturdy drumming from Peter. Oh, yeah. He's, he's great all over the rest of the Carbonite stuff, especially I love his stuff on For the Security. When he, when he gets to blast and then syncopate and right. be a little bit tricky and a little bit tasty, yeah, he's great. Going to play a little snippet from the song called Blinded of the Veil. Uh, love this really strange break in this song. And um, here it is. You know, we picked that little snippet from Blind of the Veil because of the weird break, but I'm almost thinking that that hi-hat is, is the highlight there. <laughs> it might be. Man. You know, that, um, that break, though, reminds me of Afflicted, another unsung Swedish death metal band that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Anyway. And then you mentioned in the, oddly enough, the Gincore show, episode 10. Did I? You did. I often We were talking about album. albums that start with their strongest song. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. And, of course, you would mention prodigal son right i mean who wouldn't <laughs> another band that they kind of recall and i think there's a kinship there in terms of just sonic approach and aesthetic is um darth vader's church dvc from oh Florida. absolutely yeah just that super thick guitar and kind of the way the vocals are barked out in tandem with the guitar stuff yeah um, yeah definitely the best man ever from tallahassee <laughs> The only band ever from Tallahassee? Oh, or maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, there's a song called uh, Third Eye on this album that I've always found to be one of my favorites. Uh, anything you want to say about that before you play it? Uh, yeah, like um, when I went back and listened to this, I heard Carcass vocals and I heard Cocteau Twins uh, guitars. And I can't remember the last song that I heard that reminded me of Carcass and Cocteau Twins. This is why um, we love Carbonized. It says a whole lot about Carbonized. And indeed, this is why we hold them so dear to our hearts. Third Eye.
for some reason that clean guitar kind of reminds me of um, some of the creepier stuff off of Spangle Maker or Treasure. Yeah, I mean they're they're known for you know a more ethereal sound that would uh, predate dream pop and and shoegaze to some extent. But like there's a it's a like weird um, spooky gothy element to that early Cocteau Twin stuff. And I I really I don't know why, but I distinctly heard that here. Yeah, no, I'll leave it to you to make the Cocteau Twins carbonized connection. That's great. <laughs> Seriously, that's awesome. My favorite part of the album might be the last song, Monument. And I think it's always great when an album, especially kind of a short, sharp one like this one, just kind of comes in, trashes a place and gets out uh, when they end with this best song sort of scenario. I think Monument is the best song in this album, at least one of the strongest. And here we get a glimpse into these areas they move into on the second album. Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right there in, in that a lot of the, the sound of the song kind of anticipates where they would go, e- even, even to Screaming Machines. I, oh yeah, no, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it it casts that far ahead in in this part that we're going to play. You know, it brings in the noise rock approach. That's the kind of elephant in the room with Carbonize. It's like when that's did it, they man. when did they first start touching on noise rock? And here's where they did it. That's it. It's a lot of fun. This is a little bit from a song called Monument, the final song on For the Security. think hunter or i are going to pretend that carbonized are like our very favorite band of all time or the best band that ever was but that's some of the best metal that ever was that little snippet right there so awesome <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it it bridges um death metal to amphetamine reptile and and early god flesh and also underscores why we really do think carbonized are that special just the sort of like areas they were willing to go pretty early on and then they would just keep building on it. They weren't, they never kind of went back. They, they probably didn't have long enough a career to really just kind of. No, and I mean, yeah, it's just this like this fearless melding of, of musical dialects. And, and, and sometimes it, it almost borders on, on whimsy. As we're right here. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just wait, guys. Yeah. Um, but still, like, I just love, you can hear the enthusiasm for all these different things and this, this need to, and I wouldn't even say it, it doesn't even feel like a conscious thing to me. It feels like three guys um, with wide taste in a rehearsal room. And these things just kind of came about naturally. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I know we talk about, yeah. Yeah, we, we talk about Voivod and rightly so, but you know, there were other impulses and bands that they were influenced by that just kind of gave them the, the balls to just be this brave. And, and, you know, every time I think about like the evolution of their albums, I, I think of a band just kind of like twisting themselves off of a cliff. 
you know, and just like, <laughs> right. this is, we're going to try Every this. Time. This is going to, it, because it's, it's always a pretty drastic shift from album to album, as we're going to hear. And I guess that's a good segue to get into 1993's Disharmonization. Let's do it. This is, I mean, this is, I, I think, without a doubt, their most well-known record. Um, yeah. This, this is how I found out about Carbonized. For sure. Um, um, and this is where we begin to depart. And I, I believe that that will be evident when we play this next song, uh, Spanish Fly. Yeah, this is a huge next step. And you talk about whimsy. I think Spanish Fly kind of shows some of that unchecked experimentation at this point that they were yep. willing to embrace. So uh, two bands from Europe would use would have the title Spanish Fly within a couple of years of each other, um, England's Fudge Tunnel and Carbonized. Oh, nice. Leave it to you to bring up the Fudge Tunnel because I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> I actually, when I was a kid, really liked... Uh, Hate songs in E minor. Uh, we're going to play Spanish Fly. This comes in kind of at the middle of the album. There is some stuff uh, that happened before it on the album that I want to talk about. But let's yeah, no, I think there's a, a pretty interesting division on this record, actually. Yeah, um, I, yeah, no, we we definitely need to address that. With Monument and Third Eye and Blinded of the Veil and Euthanasia in our minds, let's get into Spanish Fly and see where they were at like two years later. Yeah, that's not even partly nuts. That's totally nuts. Completely. <laughs> and I don't know if you heard it, but I hear some disharmonic orchestra in that, a favorite band of ours, and one we covered in episode four. Even the, the bass line sounds a lot like disharmonics bassist. Very much so. And yeah. it, it, actually, it hadn't occurred to me until we played it, until you mentioned it. I mean, it, you're, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, another band that came to mind when listening to this again was Early Thought Industry. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, heard, I heard some no, songs I hear that. on that. Yep. Yep. I hear and, that. And another really interesting thing, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's prescient that you brought up Disharmonic Orchestra, because one of the things, and, and we talked about this in that episode, one of the things that characterized that band was that clear separation of all three players. And, and you really get that on Disharmonization. Yeah. Um, it, it, yep. Like for, for the first time in, in, in Carbonized, because everything else had, you know, it's sort of been cooperative. But on this album, you really get three players playing three very different things um, to produce one singular sound. 
Yeah, I would agree. And I think the production is so kind of spacious and sort of clean. And very dry. Very dry. When I first got it, I thought it was too dry and too clean really for my taste. But then I started to realize, well, just it really works for a, a trio formation and the kind of music they're playing. You know? Certainly. I think I wanted something bigger, deeper, rounder, heavier. Uh, but no, I've come to love that. This is, if, it's probably no secret that this is, this is our favorite Carbonized album. Yes. But I have to say, over the years, For the Security has really become a close second for me. Oh, you know, their, their death metal stuff has definitely become uh, dearer to me. Than, yeah, because they were just peeking out yeah. on that album in terms of like, you know, here's our death metal peak, and then we're going to move on, right? Right. I want to talk about the opening of Disharmonization. I, I, coming off of For the Security, it's pretty shocking. They just throw down the weirdo gauntlet completely. The, the first song is called Frozen Landscapes. And to me, it's a very Cure-like, kind of dreamlike atmosphere, prominent acoustic guitar yes it, it, it's it's instrumental but it's not just simply an intro it's it's four minutes yes and then this duran duran-esque bass line comes in and then you're like okay now this is the first time they've ever been chill for any length of time and this is the opening of the album it's an instrumental it's four minutes okay they're going some different places then you yes. expect to get maybe a little glance at for the security you don't no. Black Tempest is about as confrontational as uh, Carbonized gets. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's a no, it, it it's a challenge. And it's it to me, it reminds me of the atmosphere of Beyond Dawn's EP from eight, 1994. The vocals on Vlad Tempest uh, remind me of like Roz Williams. Oh yeah, absolutely. Meets Tom G, which Tom G kind of got yeah, that from, from Roz. Oh, exactly. I'm so glad that you brought up Tom. Robbie Williams from Modern English kind of in there. Uh, Brendan yeah. Perry from Dead Can Dance. Just these really kind of out of place for the kind of stuff they're doing. It, it's, it's really odd. And, and like just the first half of the record gives very little concession to any death metal fan. Oh, um, yeah. It's really was, the second yeah. half where things get kind of pick up and get more aggressive. Well, look at all the weird references we've made in the first two songs. You finally get, <laughs> you finally get a taste of their old stuff in Lord of Damnation, the, the third song. It kind of relates to For the Security. I mean, yes, it's weirder than any of that, but it definitely points back to their past for the first time. So you're, you know, you're 10 minutes in and you finally get that. Um, right. But that's, and that's, that's part of the thing. That's part of the journey. And speaking of journey, there's uh, the next song, A Silent Journey. That part has this part that's almost like ham-fisted, no means no. And I don't mean that in a bad way, mm -hmm. but it's that clean guitar tone, you know, Christopher maybe not being able to play to the degree that his imagination really wants to. Sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I heard like, yeah, like I could hear like even kind of SST stuff going on, like that really, really wiry guitar sound, like the yeah. D Boone sort of thing, like yeah. Sacrin Trust, yeah. And here we get vocals that haven't, I don't remember them being introduced before in their music, and, and they're just another layer. They're just this kind of odd, booming, almost kind of like mock loungy kind of, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but they're bizarre. I don't even know if I like them or if they fit, but they're awesome. It's just because right. of the context of them, right? Right. We get into the album more. We get some stoned garage variations on Voivod. The next snippet we're going to play is a song called Night Shadows. Great drumming on this, but I guess we could say that about most Carbonized songs at this point, yes. right? Yeah, I, and I have some, some things to add to that. Let's, let's play it and we'll get into it. Shadows. 
Yeah, so we're kind of into the sweet spot of the middle part of the album. So you're getting a little heavier, but you're still getting the weird. And there's just that moment. The whole song is kind of psychotropic and you get this unexpected kind of unreal experience there. You want to talk about that? Yeah. um, Again, like you get that um, sort of gothy bass line, but then it introduces the really oddly geometric dimension of this band. And you mentioned No Means No. Um, which is totally appropriate. I didn't get that. I was start, I started thinking about like cuneiform bands, mm. but then I my head immediately went to Japan, and I started thinking about bands like um, Ruins and Happy Family and Karekyojin. Okay. Um, just that yeah, that kind of like pared down bass and drum heavy rock and opposition oriented influence kind of a thing. And, and and I think you get that in more than one instance on this record. Totally. And you know, speaking of bands like Happy Family and all those Japanese bands that are just so bizarre and weird and interesting and, and um, you know, we're fans of some of them, fan, not fans of some of them, but there, there's so much cool shit there. And I don't even know what to call what that is. It doesn't really fit into anything. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I think probably, you Prague, can, modern, yeah, I think you'd probably throw it under the avant Prague umbrella. But know? my hope, my hope is that the know. same way that that like white dudes from Sweden were checking out the band Doom from Japan in the 80s and 90s and getting really turned on by how weird they were. I hope that some of those Japanese bands are like somehow finding disharmonization and the cutout version on pavement records, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and like picking it up and just like going bonkers for it. I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to imagine that reality. I don't know if that's ever it's happened. A, it's a wonderful world to imagine. You think they'd be kind of blown away though. Like, whoa, this is kind of what we were going for. You know, that, that's, that's really not outside of the, uh, the realm of possibility. But I think anybody getting really enthusiastic about carbonized is um, outside of the realm of possibility only because I've only met like one other person that likes them this much. And that's you. <laughs> so you know, We're kind of on this weird little Island, buddy. Here Nobody's listening right now. It's crickets outside, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll, uh, this podcast will make a believer out of, you know, one or two other people that can share the island with us. This might be the last one we ever do and just be like so poorly <laughs> rated. We're going to keep cruising through disharmonization. This is a song called Voice of the Slain Pig. The past participle of slay is slain if you really want to get super picky, but we're not, we're going to give them a pass. I mean, artistic license and all that. Guitar weirdness uh, near the end here, a very, very killer moment. We finally get a heavier guitar tone. At least they've been working toward that. And you mentioned something a little bit earlier in the disharmonization discussion, Hunter, that um, this album kind of like kind of does something. It kind of coalesces or it sort of like it morphs as it moves on. What did you right. mean by that? Well, I mean, the, the beginning of this record is almost a confrontation a, a, against any kind of expectation of a death metal record. True. And as it moves on, it starts to fold in those death metal tendencies in subtle ways, really. I mean, it's obviously not a strict death metal record. But like, yeah, like one of the things that always struck me about this is the separation between the three instruments. And not that this is accurate or anything, but another band that always comes to mind when I think about that is Into Another. Uh, and especially on Ignorus, where like Tony Bono and, um, and Peter, what's Peter's name? Moses. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're like Tony Bono and Peter Moses had this really interesting contrapuntal dialogue throughout pretty much everything. And I always kind of found that to be the case with this record. I think there's also a very, very pronounced Voivod influence on this song. And if Who? You, I've, never, I've never heard you mention this band. What is it? Void? Void? 
What is that? Boy, um, the the bod the the weed. Um, yeah. There's also that band, um, Night Red or um, uh, Prince um, Prince Auburn or something. I, I know, some, some fucking band from England. I, you may have heard of them. Um, it it kind of reminds me of that shit too. But all right, without further ado, let's uh, let's hear how a slamed pig sounds. Those are some vocals. <laughs> yeah, they are. What do you, what are you saying about the vocals? They're just totally maniacal and like really imposing to me. Yeah. And that gets us back to their early kind of death metal history. And I, I kind of like that sort of continuity. We find, we get back there a little bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, the next snippet confessions, this really reminded me the last time I listened to it in full of Voivod's inner combustion covered by slint. <laughs> Can you, I like it I, actually because um, I have another reference too that I would like to mention, but I, I would like to do so after we play it. The okay. Band, I enter, yeah, no, I totally hear that. But here again, we get the anti-Catholic thing too with them. I mean, confessions, it's just kind of like exposing the kind of ridiculous or sort of plain horrifying dark sides of organized religion. And um, the confessional is a big thing in Catholic, the, the Catholic religion. So I wonder if Lars, you know, was forced to go to Catholic school and, this is his way of rebelling against it or, or commenting on it. Could be. Yeah, I wonder. So this is Confessions.
That snippet reminds me of something I've said year after year, time and time again, keep metal weird. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, there, I mean, really, just within the confines of that snippet, there is a lot of information to take in. I do, I do love that it, you, you mentioned continuity earlier, and I love the way that it circles back to the savagery of their death metal days. There's that one riff, that muted guitar riff, that reminds me of like a dry math rock version of something off of Oblivion's From This Day Forward. There's a spacey kind of techie element that's never really allowed to take full flight because of the fact that there's no effects on the guitar. Okay, so rather, okay rather than vo Slint covering Voivod, I'm hearing Breadwinner covering o Oblivion. I mean, I'm getting what you're saying. Exactly. I, I would pay a lot of money to hear Breadwinner uh, cover Oblivion. Let's form a band. Let's, let's do it. Let's, we, well, I mean, style of Breadwinner covering we Oblivion. Tom stuff. Haley. Hey, Tom Haley. Tom Haley plays um, guitar. I play bass. Well, you play drums. Tom Tom Haley knows Pin Rawlings. He does. So it seems like an inevitability at this point. <laughs> you, you play bass. I play, I play the drums. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> the newest metal band that most nobody will care about. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we may even run the risk of alienating the average radical research listener. <laughs> so did I, did I cut you off at a point where there was anything more about confessions that you felt was of note? I would hate to be the priest on the other end of that confession. <laughs> I'll say that. Let it, let's say that. Uh, the next song, the penultimate song, is Spacecraft. To me, this chugs like Voivod meets Eisenvader, clearly not as bottom heavy and severe as Eisenvader. But what I like about yeah, Spacecraft... Actually, heard some Eisenvader in um, Disharmonization this time around. Actually, that's interesting. Okay, because that's I, the maybe I wasn't going to mention that because I thought maybe I was just mishearing, but yeah, uh, yeah, I heard it in Spacecraft somehow. But um, I, I like the lyrics quote, All systems go, which is clearly for any Voivod fan, you know, that comes from Killing Technology. And then the, uh, the album ends with Whip Me Darling. It's just over a minute long, and the guitar line makes zero traditional sense. So like, <laughs> I, love, I love that they've ended it on you know, a really eclectic, bizarre note. Something else that I find notable, I don't know if you and I have ever discussed Carbonized in this context, but we've certainly discussed the idea of honorary Norwegian weird metal bands, right? Right. Hail Spirit Noir is, is kind yes. of a modern one that reminds us of the vibe of Norwegian bands that we like. I think Carbonize were this honorary Norwegian band in the sense of their being so daring and strange and interesting. Sure. You're on board with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of experimental, here we go. This is the third and final album by Carbonize. This was it for them. It was an album that came out three years after Disharmonization called Screaming Machines. This thing was described as Christopher himself, the guitarist, as the worst of sonic youth, 
Sid Barrett era, Pink Floyd, Old Black Flag, and Voivod. That's a quote from another source, but when I spoke to him about it when I was writing Mean Deviation, he also added comparisons to Primus and Zappa, but he was always careful to say it was the worst of. That's probably true. What do you make of that? Because we, we have an odd relationship with yeah. this album. I think we both think the same thing. I have a grudging love for it, yet I kind of hate spots of it. It's, I would uh, say a, a grudging love almost seems generous to me. <laughs> I, I have, I, like, I've had this record for a very long time. I've revisited it over and over, hoping to crack its cryptic code, but I've never been able to do that. Yeah. Um, it, 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 for me, it's, it's, a cur- it's a, an essential curiosity, but it's never going to be an album that I will love. I love. Um, I, I can see like an essential curiosity in quotes when they do the reissue and they do the sticker for the cover. <laughs> like Hunter Ginn of Radical Research says, it's an essential curiosity. No, that's the best quote they were able to get from this. <laughs> that is that is conditional praise, like in the least. Well, it's um, weird. Like I, I it, it's yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it. It's it almost seems like them kind of waging a war against their last three listeners. You know. <laughs> I mean, it really, it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> oh, man, that's another great quote. <laughs> well, okay, all three guys are credited with vocals on this album, and I think that's the element that sometimes makes this a sour listen because, for one, I'm not sure who's doing what. Yeah, There's same. some really bad vocals no on this album. Really bad vocals on this album. They also kind of ratchet up the noise rock element. There's no doubt about that, right? Oh, certainly. I think now, the, 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 drum, the drum sound is an attempt to get, like, towards like in steve albini production but they just they're not quite able to do that yeah really They've good got call. Like, you know, it's, it's too compressed and too digital that but you know the, which kind of makes it an interesting european mutation of that sound but still like yeah now they're clearly um aligning themselves with the american noise rock underground on this yeah for sure and i mean it, it definitely you know one thing i like about this album is, is, is there's not much to love in the actual material but I like the attempt. I mean, I like that these three guys stretched into this area. They'd never get a chance to with any other bands, even Therion, you know, when they got, right. weird, got, you know, got exploratory, you know, Screaming Machines represents a whole other vibe. And um, it, but, you know, here's the thing. We, it definitely does have some, some hallmarks of their earlier sound. You just gotta, you gotta kind of tease them out through some really difficult stuff. So let's just get to the first snippet while disharmonization is kind of fresh on our minds. And uh, this is a song called Circles, and we'll talk about it when we get back.
this this is such a tough one because this is exaggeration and I know it, but I feel like we hear about 13 things in there we hate and 13 things in there we love, right? Yes. It's yes. just this jumble of good ideas with bad ones. You know, I was I I, I mentioned uh, Danzig, you know, like conversationally while we we're playing it, right? But it, it's more like like a like bad Babylon whores or something. <laughs> Man, no. <laughs> Leave it to you to bring up some bad massacre van. <laughs> Babylon Horse. No, wait a minute. Babylon Horse was misanthropy. Yeah, yeah, they were Spine Farm. Oh, I was thinking of Babylon Sad. No, no, no. Babylon Horse, the Finnish band. The Finnish you know who Babylon Rock. Sad is, though, right? Yes, I do. And this is why we have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so moving on from Circle, do you ever notice how Carbonized put the car? In carbonized, uh, I mean, you got the car on the front of for the security, uh, right? Right? That's, yeah, that's pretty clever. Actually. And let's look at the cover. We haven't talked about their artwork very much. Let's should, just do it now. But let's, let's look at streaming machines. That's also got the same car from for the security on the cover. Now, I'm not, I'm not a car guy. I think is that an Oldsmobile or a Buick or something? Uh, Jeff. I'm not a car guy. You don't even. Know I'm pretty sure that until a few years ago, you and I did think that a flux capacitor was part of a car. Right. Tur- turns out it's not. Uh, we are. Yeah, we're definitely not car experts at all. We'll, we'll definitely not be doing car talk uh, no. when they revive that one. Uh, <laughs> and on the disc print of of uh, Stream Machines, there's a guy with a uh, you know he's holding a, he's got the steering wheel and the steering column, kind of rocking that. He's rocking the shifter. So they don't sound like a car band, but apparently Lars was a fan of these sort of long, I'll just call them Oldsmobiles. And uh, there you go. But what about the other artwork on carbonized albums? I mean, for the securities, okay. The disharmonization is this kind of over, overly uh, digital, kind of distorted, um, weird, pre-CGI. I don't know. It. In fact, I guess I'm kind of flummoxed by its ugliness and and that. Uh, Wait, are you, are you talking about disharmonization? Yeah. Oh, uh, that's a that's the HR Giger ripoff. Yeah, but I just think it looks really ugly. Okay, I don't dislike it. Like I, the I, the, re- the rendering of it is very ugly to me. Yeah, I'm a big HR Giger fan, I, and I so don't like I. I don't like the artists that try to rip him off. But I think that's the the approach here. But but yeah, then you've got like like the non-logo <laughs> kind of like ugly color choices, you know, like yes, yeah, like what the hell? Yeah, but, you know, Screaming Machines is, I guess it's their worst album. I hate to call. I it don't even it. know like in what genre the cover of Screaming Machines would be appropriate. That's just horrible artwork, dude. Let's I mean, just, call, just let's just call a spade a spade. That is horrible yeah. artwork. I mean, you've got a flying toaster. That was always <laughs> dumb. That was, a, that was like an early screensaver when you had screensavers. You had a, you have an open refrigerator, and the the rendering is just dumb cartoon childish shit. Yes, puerile. Uh, puerile. It's just this is not good. The, the logo they changed their logo. That's lame. The the font of screen machines all lowercase. Also very nineties indie. True, true. Ninety six. They're they're literally. I don't know that there's one redeeming feature to that artwork. 
I, I, I like, okay, there's two mannequins at the forefront of the artwork and right. they look like they're crash test dummies basically. And you've got the car. So th- I, guess, I guess that makes some kind of dumb sense. I guess. Um, green machine. It doesn't make it good. Toasters and cars are machines. Maybe the, the crash test dummies were screaming. Because I guess like, well, and you had toasters kind of scream when the toast is done maybe. May I point out though, the male crash test dummy has a cape and flare blue jeans. What the? F- <laughs> Moving on. Anywho, um, yeah. Anywho, talk to me about screen machines. It's stuff that we're not going to play. Is there anything that you kind of want to point out here? No, I mean, I, I nothing that we haven't covered already. I mean, this is clearly an. Uh, I don't know if an attempt to approximate '90s indie noise rock or or a love letter to it. I, I really don't know. It's a confusing record. Like there's this point where you don't know if you're on the hemisphere of irony or earnestness. No, um, I mean, great point. That great point. I, and this, this album explores both of those poles and can't quite figure it out where it wants right. to. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can never find the divide. <laughs> I, I think at this point in our listening and I, you know, we all evolve as listeners and it just, you know, it comes with many years and it comes with many listens and just whatever. I, I think at this point, like today, right. I think I like this one a little more than you do, but I have the same problems that you do with it. I mean, there's just these punky kind of jangly, kind of disjointed parts. Two songs stick out to me that just completely flat out suck. And that's Golden Rain. And yes, it's about golden showers. So that tells you kind of where their heads are at for that one. (laughs) It's just dumb. You know, I don't don't care for the mentors. I don't want that coming into Carbonized. No. And the song, I Want to Die. That's like just shit punk of the worst kind. It's terrible. Um, probably the worst carbonized song, but the next two snippets I want to play are, I think, you know, kind of some, if not better than some really interesting points on this album. Uh, the first one's called psychedelica, uh, lame title. I'll give you that. And it's kind of dorky. It's kind of ham fisted. It's some post rock meandering, but I, the, there's an accordion on this. Okay. And, and that accordion was played by this guy named Rex Geeslin, who, okay you may have read in conjunction on some of your CDs or albums in conjunction with Montezuma studio and quite a few noteworthy albums were recorded at Rex's Montezuma. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he played accordion on this song we're going to play, but Montezuma is known for like twilight of the gods, Requiem and blood on ice by Bathory, little Swedish combo you might've heard of. Maybe some album called octagon that uh, I don't remember because I had that part of my brain removed (laughs) stored its sound in my memory banks because that is, that's up there with saying anger for me. It was expensive surgery, but worth having. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I recommend it. Uh, Rex also did engineering and studio work on Therion's Beyond Sanctorum and Symphony Masses. And the- Therion will figure into Both the screen a little bit. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Edge of Sanity's Unorthodox was done there. We've talked about that on episode two. One Cemetery album, some Memento Mori stuff. I know that probably pricks your ears up. A little bit. Check out, three, my, check out my most recent playlist, folks. That's right. And three very different Candlemass albums, Ancient Dreams, Chapter 6, and Dactylus Glomerata. Uh, love, love all those, but you couldn't have three more different Candlemass albums than that no. one. But that's what came out of Montezuma, and this is Rex Gislin on guest accordion on Carbonize Psychedelica. We are not responsible for what you might think and how this might make you feel. Smells. 
Yeah, I, I made a mistake there, Hunter. I said that was Rex on accordion. He was playing bagpipes, actually. We'll have to Fair wait a little say. longer to get the first accordion snippet on Radical Research, but that was well, sort of like pneumatic instruments. So thanks for covering for me, but yeah. I, but I, I just completely screwed up. But no, that was Rex Geisland on bagpipe, and that was possibly, and this is relative, really, but that's probably the weirdest part of Screaming Machines. One of them, I like. In fact, um, when it we began playing the clip, I just kind of had to chuckle. Because it is so, so unhinged. And um, it actually, and this just occurred to me, like it reminds me a bit of um, the Canadian band Max Webster, um, who uh, on occasion would, would drift into um, sort of House of Mirrors, uh, kind of post-Zappa um, lunacy. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think you hear that, you know, in, in full bloom on this track. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that one that one goes pretty far out. Yeah. It's worth noting at this point. This thing came out in 96 and this very trio of carbonized who form what we'll call the classic trio of carbonized, you know, all the albums and everything. They're the core lineup on Therion's fifth album, uh Theli, Theli, I don't know how you say it, T H E L I. I thought it was Theli, but I, I don't know. Theli, yeah. So um and kind of not surprisingly uh, it's 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 a really strange one. It's it's a weird album. It it really was a left turn for theory on at that point. But unlike say something like Into the Pandemonium for Celtic Frost, which just at the time was not successful, um, I think that's fair to say. This was a commercial success for Therion. Christopher was just about ready to knock it on the head because he just wasn't getting anywhere with the band. And yet these three guys from Carbonize are part of Theli, and it just kind of broke theory on into this new world where they've kind of just been ever since, which is this operatic Gothic metal, very bombastic kind of stuff. I'm not a huge fan of this era of theory on. I think you and yeah, I, are I pretty much stop after symphony masses. Me too. Me too. Weirdly enough, we agree on that, but I think it's something that I respect because just how far out it was and how much success they had with that. I think I'll always support the underdog on, on that one. Right. Sure. But, you know, when I was talking to Christopher, when I wrote Mean Deviation uh, in the interview, he mentioned how he, he was quite well aware that this was sort of like they're into the pandemonium in terms of the risk they were taking and the budget they were spending. Yeah, like a twenty one twelve kind of a... Exactly, it, like a make or break. Exactly, make yeah. or break, we're going to do what's in our hearts. It's not going to be what anybody's expecting or what the record company wants, but this is what we do. And suddenly it actually becomes some kind of success. And I think in hindsight, most people would think Into the Pandemonium is a great success uh, for everything that spawned. You know, we say all that because it's, it's pertinent because these, this trio of guys and Carbonized were a huge part of that album and that success. Uh, but some of this album just sounds like they're trying to force it, like the, kind of an unnatural weirdness and, and a forced weirdness, right? Yes. And I think Yoda said, like, the, the unnatural must naturally come, Hunter-san. Am I right? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so let's go out on a good note uh, for all the weird reactions we have to Scream Machines. Let's go out with Fever. This, this is a cool song, especially its last moments that we're going to play for you. Let's listen and talk when we get back.
thoughts? I mean, they're actually making kind of directly emotional, maybe even kind of moving rock music there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds very sincere. Yeah, and that's, that's the frustration with this album because this is like, I don't know, seventh, eighth song on the album. And then you get like a bunch that I always reach a point of like ennui by the time of the final songs on this album. Right. Right. You just, cause you just like, you've got, you've gotten teased with surrender. Stuff, but you just, yeah, you just surrender to the bad shit. Like right. you know, cool moments and then super annoying vocals. And then, you know, it's just. No, it's a, it's a, a very taxing listen. Yeah. It's a, a gesture of commitment, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, just there's ingenuity here. There's greatness here. I just feel like we got a better version of Carbonized in the first two albums. And yeah, I mean that, yeah, to your point, like that's one of the frustrating aspects of this record is that it, it allows you to glimpse its greatness very occasionally. And, and then it recoils and just does more like weird, frustrating stuff. Yeah. I mean, but I think still we applaud the ambition of Carbonized, especially in this era, you know, the, the tough screaming machines era. Um, they split up after this, probably at the right time, because, I mean, where do you go from here? Yeah. They left a legacy of otherworldly weirdness and super sick darkness with For the Security, their demos, disharmonization, and we're happy with that. I think there are probably, there's probably a tangible reason um, that you mentioned earlier is that Therian really began to take flight commercially after this. It, it, and, it did. Uh, Christopher, Christopher Johnson probably didn't even have time for anything else. That's exactly it. That's a really good point. Christopher uh, just went right straight for the whole theory on thing in this new era. Um, the other guys fell off pretty quickly. I don't know. They didn't. I think they were on the next album, which was more of like a EP and some covers. Uh, they fell off of theory on as well, Peter and, and uh, Lars. But yeah, Christopher kept that going. Lars hasn't really been heard from much since. Peter and Lars were in a doom band called serpent who i found extremely boring and uh there we are so listeners um we hope that you have enjoyed this hour or so of pure weirdness and we hope that you will be compelled to join us once again for episode 12, where Jeff Wagner and I will be delving into the body of work by California's Mind Over Four, a mutual favorite of ours, underrated band, despite um, brushes with success, such as being featured um, on the back cover of Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. Right, go figure. Yep, and having full-page ads in the likes of Metal Maniacs and Terrorizer being touted by lots of notable critics. Um, but anyway, end of the day, the cards were stacked against them. They were too good for their own good. Hmm. Uh, we love them. We think that we will make quite a case for them, and we think that we're going to sell some records for them. <laughs> which, are, hope- which are about $2 to $3 on Discogs right now. So, yeah, so, I mean, it, it little risk to your bank account. Uh, thanks again for your time. We know that you could spend this listening to music, spending time with loved ones, or doing something else. But please know that we genuinely appreciate your support as always. And we look forward to the next installment of Radical Research. Keep metal weird. Keep metal weird.